You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. got your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and this morning we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. We've had a great morning together, uh, celebrating baptism, praying over young men and their families beginning uh, to serve in deacon ministry here at First Baptist. A great time offering up God praise uh, in song today. But let's hear from his word this morning as well, because I really believe the Lord has a word for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're studying through this New Testament letter, and this morning we're at the end of this chapter, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. Let's read it together this morning. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So you run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, there are three things that Paul is talking about here in this passage that I want us to see this morning. First of all, he begins here by expressing a desire. There's a desire that Paul expresses here, and to express his desire, to communicate that desire, he does something that he often did in his letters. He reaches into the world of sports, and he grabs hold of a metaphor to illustrate his point so that we can all understand where he's going here. Paul talks about runners running in a race. And when runners compete in a race, Paul says it's clear that they are competing, all of them, for one thing, and that is not just to finish the race, but to win the prize at the end of the race. No true athlete spends all this time practicing and training only to compete in a sport to get a participation certificate saying that I competed. Everyone who competes wants to win. And in the sporting world that Paul is thinking of, uh, he says that when you get to the end of the race, if you are fortunate enough to win, what you receive at the end is a perishable crown. You'll get a crown, and that's what they got back in the day. They would get a crown that was made like a wreath. Uh, It would be something that they would place upon the winner's head to crown them as the winner, the victor in the competition or the sport. It would be a huge honor. Uh, It would look beautiful in the moment. But the unfortunate thing is that the glory of that wreath, that crown that had been placed upon the winner's head would surely begin to fade over time because it is made of the things of this world. And everything that is of this world eventually perishes. The glory never lasts forever. Anybody who's competed in sports will tell you that very thing is true. 
There is that moment of glory, that moment when you receive the prize, the moment when you're handed the trophy, the moment when you win the award, but over time, the glory fades and the glory is diminished and it's lost. And Paul says, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about us as believers in a race where we are competing for something, we are running after something that is not perishable, but perishable, but rather it is imperishable. He's talking about an imperishable crown here that every believer could receive. See, unlike in the sporting world, only one winner comes out in the end, but Paul is talking about something that we can all win at, something that we can all receive at the end of this life, this imperishable crown. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, what are you talking about, Paul? There are some who believe that Paul is talking about heaven here, but that certainly is not the case, and we know that not to be true, because heaven is not something that you work for. You don't work for heaven. You don't try to earn your way into heaven. The only way you can go to heaven is by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you. Our hope of eternal life has nothing to do with what we do or what we've done, but it's in what Christ has done for us on the cross. Paul understood that. Paul knew that his hope was in Jesus. And so Paul is not talking about hoping that at the end of his life he has done enough that it will earn him a place in heaven. That is not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is a reward received from Christ at the end of one's life. Paul is hoping that in that day when he stands before the Lord Jesus Christ, he might be fortunate enough to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. But to get that crown and to receive that reward, Paul has in mind that as a believer, there is something that I must be doing in this life. And one of the things that Paul imagines that every believer should be doing is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. The imperishable crown that Paul is thinking of here is received by one doing all that he or she can by the grace of God to help bring others to know Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. And the reason we know this is what Paul is talking about is because it fits perfectly in the context of this letter. You see, to understand the text, you've got to understand the context. And Paul has not changed his train of thought here and is completely talking about something else from what he has been talking about. It's a continuation of thought. And when you look back to chapter 8 and chapter 9 in particular, what you find is that Paul has been talking about living life in such a way so as to be able to win more to faith in Jesus Christ. Now understand that Paul is not suggesting in the least that he is the one responsible for saving people. We know that salvation is of the Lord. Only God can save sinners. Amen? But what Paul is talking about here is doing all that I can in the will of God to share the message of the gospel with sinners so that God would use that message to draw sinners unto himself. God wants to be, uh, Paul wants to be used by God in the work of bringing lost people to faith in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is imagining here is living his life in such a way that when he gets to end, he finds that that is how he has lived his life. That's how he spent his life is bringing more people to Jesus. It's not only, this not only fits with what Paul has said here already in this letter, it fits also with what Paul has said elsewhere in his letters. When you look in 1 Thessalonians, 
at what he said to the church in Thessalonica. Here's what he wrote to them. He said, what is our hope, our joy, or our crown of rejoicing? What is my crown of rejoicing? He says, is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. He's talking about the Thessalonians. He had gone there and preached the gospel to them just as he had gone to preach the gospel to the Corinthians. Paul is writing back to this church in Thessalonica and he says, what is my joy? What is my hope? What is my crown of rejoicing? What do I rejoice in more than anything else in this life? It's you. It's looking at you and seeing what the gospel has done in your life. It's knowing that God used me God used me to bring the gospel to you and to share with you this glorious message that you might experience his glorious salvation. And what Paul is saying is this, this is the reward for the child of God. Yes, heaven is going to be wonderful regardless, but isn't it it wonderful to think about standing before the Lord one day and being able to present him a life that was spent telling others the good news of Jesus Christ and his salvation? I want you to think about it this morning. The only thing that you will take with you and that will follow you into eternity are the things that you have done in this life to the glory of Christ. You've probably heard that before. That the only thing that will follow you into heaven is what you've done for the Lord, what you've done for the glory of Christ in this life. Well, let me ask you a question. What brings more glory to Christ than to live your life on mission for Christ, sharing the riches and the wonders of his grace with others through the gospel. And then seeing God use that to draw sinners to himself. I'll tell you this morning, if you are living your life in pursuit of anything else but to know Christ and to make him known, then you are wasting your life. Because whatever else you achieve and whatever else you accomplish in this life will soon fade and be forgotten. The only thing that you'll take with you into eternity is what you've done for Christ. And there's no greater thing that you can do for the glory of Christ than to share his gospel with others. This is what Paul's talking about here. Paul says, in my life, I'm running after something. And what I'm running after is to get to the end of my life and know that God has used me in every way he possibly can, in any way he wants, to bring sinners to himself. That my life will have been well spent sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. So there's the desire that Paul says we all should want to achieve. The second thing you notice here is this danger of which Paul was aware and wanted to avoid. Paul talks about in this passage his fear of getting to the end of his life and then finding out that he had in some way become disqualified. Now, I will tell you, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big Cardinals fan. It's hard to say that today. You know, all this season you would only want to mention that with a bag over your head because... As a Cardinals fan, we're starting to understand what Cubs fans kind of feel like, right? We have seen our better days, but I will tell you that I have always, whether good, bad, or ugly, I've always been a Cardinals fan. And back when my kids were younger, Mark McGuire was the star 
of the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, he would soon give way to Albert Pujols, and so they would grow up with a little bit of both. But when they were really, really small, Big Mac was still around. And I loved Big Mac, Mark McGuire. And the reason why we loved him so much, the reason why we followed him so faithfully is because of how hard and how far he could hit a baseball. I mean, he's known for home runs. Still, even today in Bush Stadium, there is Big Mac land. And it's not talking about McDonald's. It's talking about that's where Mark McGuire used to hit his home runs. And, 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 and when you look back over his career, he had a stellar career. Mark McGuire is the man who finally broke Roger Maris's record of 61 home runs in a season. People have been chasing that for a long time. Some people thought it would never, that record would never be broken. People had gotten close but, but had never been able to get over that hump of hitting 61 and then 62. Mark McGuire did. Now, others did it after him, but he did it first. And that year when he hit 61 home runs and then 62, he ended up with 70. If you look back over his career, it's just phenomenal how, how, how well he hit the ball and what kind of home run hitter he actually was. It took him fewer at-bats to reach 500 home runs than any other player who's ever played the sport. Home runs per at-bat, Mark McGuire holds the record for that too. Some people say that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa together saved Major League Baseball because the strike had happened earlier uh, a couple of seasons earlier, and people were giving up on baseball and saying, we're done with it. But then this whole, this home run chase between McGuire and Sosa took place, and then everybody sort of got re-energized and re-engaged in the sport. And people say, even to this day, that Mark McGuire had a big hand in saving Major League Baseball. Phenomenal career, and yet, do you know that Mark McGuire will never get into the Baseball Hall of Fame? You know Why? Because at the end of his career, he openly admitted, and it was discovered, that he had used performance-enhancing drugs throughout his career. In other words, he had some help. And so people, when they look at him, say, he cheated. He broke the rules. It wasn't, it wasn't all natural. He had to have some, some help in order to do the things that he did. And because of that, he'll never get voted in to the Baseball Hall of Fame. What a shame. I mean, not just thinking about his major league career, but you think about all those years spent in Little League. You think about his years in college, his years in the minor leagues, plus the major leagues. All that time spent grinding it out. All that time spent working at this game that he loved. And, and then getting to that place where you could almost see the greatest honor of all entering into baseball's Hall of Fame and not be able to go because you have become disqualified. Well, Paul, as he writes this, is thinking about something far worse than that. Paul is thinking about getting to the end of his life and then discovering at the end of his life that something had happened along the way to disqualify him in some way from this prize that he was hoping to obtain. Now, again, what is Paul talking about when he talks about disqualification? I can tell you this, he's not talking about losing his salvation. I want to be clear this morning that you are not saved by works and you're not kept saved by your works. I'm not saved because of my power, not kept saved because of my power. I am saved by the power of God, and I'm kept by the power of God. And a person who is truly saved can never lose his or her salvation, but that doesn't mean that there's not still something to lose. 
And what Paul feared is this. He feared that he would get to the end of his life and find that somewhere along the way he had lost his way and ended up doing something that could have discredited his testimony and his witness of Christ in the eyes of others. Paul wanted to be a man who at the end of his life could look back and see that his life was spent helping others come to Christ. He did not want to be that man standing in the way of others as a stumbling block that was keeping them from coming to faith in Christ because they looked at his life and saw a a worthless testimony. Now I want to be clear about something this morning. The hope of the gospel is not in men. The hope of the gospel is in Christ. The message that we preach is not about our goodness. The message we preach is about God's grace. It's about grace shown to wretched, hell-bound, hell-deserving sinners. But that grace received by sinners who trust in Christ for salvation should result in a life that has been changed and transformed by the power of God. And when people in the world look at those who have received God's grace and have truly been saved, falling back into a life of sin, you've got to understand that the enemy uses that to cast doubt in the minds of others about the truthfulness of the message that we preach. Our sin does not make the gospel less true. I mean, you might be sitting here this morning, and you might be saying, listen, I'm, not, I'm going to tune you out. I'm not going to listen to anything that you say, because I know people who say that they are Christians, and I've seen the way that they live, and I just don't believe it. Well, listen, the message that we preached is not, is, it does not depend upon the life of anybody you've ever seen. The message that we preach depends upon the truthfulness of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And so whether you want to believe it or not, the gospel is true. It doesn't matter who you've looked at or what life or testimony you've seen. The gospel message is true. But what we as Christians have to understand is this. Though our sin does not take away from the gospel truth, it can hinder others from seeing the gospel truth and believing in the power of the cross and in the gospel for their salvation. And Paul did not want to be guilty of anything that would cause people to question or doubt the message that he preached. And no doubt, Paul had seen this happen in the life of others. He had seen people who professed to be Christians, but whose faith had become shipwrecked in some way. In fact, he writes about it in his letters. Some of his people that he had in mind are people who lost their way theologically. In other words, they once once stood on truth, but then they begin to compromise the truth and preach a different gospel, which was no gospel at all. And then he thinks about people who lost their way ethically and morally, people who fell back into a life of sin, and because of their life of sin, had brought shame upon the name of Jesus and upon their testimony in Christ. And Paul says, I don't want that to be me. I don't want people have to, to have to climb over my lousy testimony in order to get to Jesus. I want to be a man who lives his life in such a way that you can see the gospel in me. Now, Paul wasn't claiming to be a perfect man, but he was a different man. And that's what we should hope to be. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know that we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven, but we should strive to live a life that is different 
by the power of Christ, because of the gospel in our life, we should desire to live a life that honors God, not just for ourselves and for our own glory, but more for His glory, that our life might bear witness of the truthfulness of the gospel that we have believed in, and through our life and through our testimony, others may be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. And this was what Paul was out for. But he recognized that there is this real present danger all around of losing one's way and stumbling back into sin so that you, you mess up your testimony of Christ before others. That brings me to the third thing this morning, and that's this. Paul talks about a discipline that has to be applied. So with all of this in mind, Paul says in verse 26, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. So he's still talking about this race that he's in. And Paul says, I know what I'm chasing after. There are some people in this room who profess to be Christians, and you don't know what you're running after. Some of us who are still chasing after the things of the world when we should be chasing after Christ. And for the glory of Christ in this life, Paul says, I know where I want to get to in my life. I know where I want to end up. I want to end up at the finish line, and we're all going to get to the finish line. But I want to get to the finish line, and when I get there, I want to have still a good testimony intact. I want to, I want to still provide a great witness of the power of the gospel in my life. I want people to be able to see what Jesus has done in me. So Paul says, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm running after. So I don't run with uncertainty. And then he says, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Now he switched metaphors on us. He's gone from a race now to a boxing match. And Paul pictures himself as a boxer training for a fight because Paul knows that living a, 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 living a good testimony in this world I mean, living a life that truly bears witness to Jesus Christ and the gospel is not easy in this world. In fact, if that's your desire and that's what you're running after, brother, you're in for a fight. And Paul says, I know that I'm in for a fight. I know what I'm up against. And so he pictures himself as the boxer who's training for a match. Can I ask you a question this morning? Is there anybody that loves Rocky movies in the room today? If your hand isn't up, you're not American. <laughs> Every good American loves a Rocky movie. Rocky movies are great. Rocky 1 and 2, hard to beat. Great underdog stories. Uh, and then you got Rocky 3, Rocky against Mr. T, that was good, but there's nothing that compares in my mind with Rocky IV. Rocky against the Russian. Rocky against Drago. Now, now every Rocky movie has a training scene. There's this there's a storyline that goes along, and then as it gets closer to the fight, you got Rocky starting to get serious about the fight. Sometimes he's a little distracted and he's not training the way he should, but then he gets he gets dialed in and he begins to train properly, getting ready for the big fight. But but listen, Rocky Four is different. Rocky is not sidetracked at all in Rocky IV. Rocky IV, he knows that he's up against this Russian monster who, who has killed his best friend 
in the boxing ring in what was supposed to be an exhibition match. You remember that? Apollo Creed shows up, thinks this is just an exhibition match with a Russian. And so Apollo Creed, just having a good time, he's waving at everybody, you know, having a good time. He steps in the ring. Drago ain't there to play. Drago's there to make a point, and make a point he did. He beats Apollo Creed so badly that he dies in the ring. And now he wants to fight Rocky. And Rocky said, all right, I'll fight you. I won't fight you in Moscow. I don't want to fight you in America because I can't have a good fight in America. I want to go back to Moscow. I'll go to Moscow. Rocky goes all the way to Moscow. And in that movie, Rocky trains in a way that he doesn't train in any other Rocky movie. Like there's no other stuff going on. Rocky knows that he's in for a fight against a man who wants to kill him. And Rocky is going to give it everything that he's got. Man, we need some good Rocky music right now. You know what? Man, I'll run those stairs, get to the top, and do like this. I mean, th- this is serious stuff. He knows what he's up against. And he knows if he doesn't take this seriously, this guy, this guy will kill him. And Paul feels the same way in this battle that is ongoing in the Christian life. Paul knows that what he wants is to get to the end of his life and have a good testimony intact that God would use his witness to bring as many people possible to faith in Jesus Christ. But there is an enemy that is out there who is trying to take him down, trying to destroy his life and rip his testimony to shreds. And that's the way it is for all of us. Now, when, I think, when, when you think about that enemy and who that enemy is to you, most of us would say immediately, well, we're talking about the devil here. He's talking about the devil here. And I do believe in the devil, and I believe in demons. I believe that, that in that which lives in the spiritual realm that you can't see with your eye, but they are there. The Bible talks about how Satan walks about like a roaring lion, just looking for and seeing whom, whom he may devour, whose life he could mess up and tear to shreds. And so I do believe that. And Paul believed that as well. But in this particular passage, Paul is not so much concerned about the devil as he is another enemy that is just as real and perhaps even more powerful. You know what he's talking about? Himself. His own flesh. Go back and read the text. Paul says, listen. He says, I, I, I fight not as one who beats the air. In other words, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not swinging at nothing. I know who my opponent is. I know what I'm up against. I know what I have to train for. So therefore, he says in verse 27, I discipline my body so that I might bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. I I discipline my body. The picture here is that of a man beating himself up. Now Paul is saying, that's what I have to do. I've got to beat myself up. And he's not talking about self-degradation. He's not talking about getting down on yourself. What he's talking about is self-discipline and self-control. Paul says, listen, if I'm going to train for this fight, and if I'm going to come out on top at the end, then I have to do some things intentionally to get myself ready for the battle that I'm up against. Every good athlete knows that. Listen, if you want to win at something, you know that you got to train for it. And as you're training, there are some things that you just have to say no to. There's some things that you can't do, some things you got to put out of your life. 
And then there are other things that you have to embrace, other disciplines that you've got to take on in order to get into the best physical shape of your life so that you might win. Paul says, I've got to do the same thing in the spiritual realm. If I'm going to get in shape spiritually, I've got to put some things out of my life, and I've got to embrace some disciplines in my life so I can get in the best spiritual shape possible to be able to win against this enemy who's trying to take me out. And in the Christian life, what that means is this. That means there are some things in my life that I've just got to put out of my life. I've got some things I've got to let go of. Sometimes there may be people in your life that you've got to get out of your life because having them in your life and having those things in your life just present to you a greater temptation to fall back into sin. That having those things there presents to you a temptation that sometimes is just too hard to resist. And so as hard as it may be to say no to those things and to put those things out of your life, you got to do it. Because there's a goal. There's something that you're trying to reach. You got to keep the end in mind that when you get to the end of your life, you want to have a good testimony intact. And if I'm going to get there, then I've got to say no to myself in a lot of ways. I got to put some things out of my life. And at the same time, there are disciplines that I need to embrace and I need to practice. And Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says to him in verse 7, Train yourself, exercise yourself toward godliness. Discipline yourself toward godliness. You gotta work at this. There are things that you have to do. If you're gonna walk, if you're gonna walk with the Lord, if you're gonna live a godly life, then there are things that you have to do. What things would Paul have in mind? Spending time in God's Word, spending time in prayer. You know what prayer is? Prayer is the acknowledgement of our dependence on God every day. A person who doesn't pray is a person who says, God, I, I've got this. I can handle this. I don't need any help. Prayer is the acknowledgement of your weakness. The reason we pray is not to impress God or make God think how, believe how spiritual we are because we know all the right words. We know just exactly what to say. Prayer is just a man humbling himself before the Lord in his weakness, crying out to God, saying, I can't do this without you. I need you in my life. I need you to help me. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need your grace. I need you to guide me. I need you to show me where the pitfalls are, where the landmines are in my life so I can avoid those things. God, I can't do this without you. That's what prayer is. And if you're going to walk godly and you're going to live a good testimony in this world, you're going to need the Lord's help. And so you got to be in the Word and you got to be in prayer. And you also need to be surrounded in your life by other Christians who are also headed in the same direction, and living for the same goal that you're living for. You've got to have people in your life, people in your life to hold you accountable. We hate that word, but all of us need accountability because there's not a person in this room, and we're going to see this next week as we get back into, Romans, uh, get back into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that, listen, every person in this room needs to understand that just because you haven't fallen yet doesn't mean that you can't fall. Just because, you have, just because you haven't wrecked your testimony yet doesn't mean you can't wreck your testimony. We're all vulnerable. We're all weak. We all need help. And Paul says, listen, you've got you to put these things in your life. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about discipline. Is that these are things that you do whether you want to do them or not. You know, an athlete doesn't always want to get up and go to the gym. 
or go out to the practice field. But they'll do it if they want to win and if they want to get better. They know they have to. you got to work at it. Same thing is true in the, in the Christian life. Listen, if you only read the Bible when you want to read the Bible, you won't read the Bible very much. Do you know that? Because there's a lot of days you don't want to read the Bible. Because the flesh in you, your sinful nature, resists those things that will help you and bring you closer to God. And so you got to fight through that. That's what he's talking about. I've got to bring my body into subjection. I've got to make my body mind. I've got to bring myself under the lordship of Jesus Christ, which means I have to deny myself and do things that I sometimes don't want to do. If the only time you pray is when you feel like praying, you won't pray very much. If the only time you go to church is when you feel like going to church, well, we'll see you today, but we may not see you again for another month or two because you don't feel like it every week. But we do these things. You know why we do these things? Because we need these things. You know why we need these things? Because we want to live a life to the glory of Christ so that when we get to the end, we have a testimony still intact and we know that God has somehow used our life in some way to bring more to himself. You see, what we all want is to get to the place where Paul was at the end of his life. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, you know what he said to Timothy? Which is very interesting. I was sitting there on the front row, and I want you to think about this. God is good. Anybody know God's good? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. You know what Paul says to Timothy? Train yourself, exercise yourself toward godliness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Did you hear that? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. I've got to the end, and I've kept the faith. Train yourself toward godliness. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. You know how he got there? Because he trained himself toward godliness. That's where we want to get to. To get to the end of this life and have a testimony that bears witness of the grace of God. A testimony that God has used to bring others to himself. That is a life well lived and that is a life that will receive in the end the well done, my good and faithful servant. God help us all to get there. If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.